It is so good to be here with everyone. Um, I just want to, before we get started, uh, just let you know there is overflow in the room next to us and the Grove. I know there's children. I planned on a long sermon, uh, not knowing we'd be together this morning. So if you need to use the over room for your children, please, if they make noise, I love it. So, and we do too as a church. So I'm just glad there's people to preach to, to be honest. Man, I want to start by thanking you. I, I don't know how many people told me that they fasted last week and prayed and got into prayer groups on Zoom. And um, I heard the women's ministry prayed for five hours straight. Is that true, Pat? Close to five hours straight. Um. By the way, I think God answered those prayers. Uh, how appropriate is it today is the first day we are meeting. I don't know what this next week's going to look like. I don't know what this next month is going to look like, but we're meeting today, and it is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Many have lost their lives for this freedom, and I appreciate that. I want to thank you. If you have uh, served in the military or are serving, could you just stand, please? be honest, I I don't know if I knew how much your service meant until probably this week. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, With that said, if you would turn with me to Romans 13, verse 1. Again, we're going to continue the the sermon I was planning to preach today. I I had no idea this would all take place in the last two weeks. Um, God is in control. He knew. He knew we'd be preaching this sermon today. And it actually fits, I think, in a lot of ways. And I hope it's challenging. It's been challenging to me to see what the, the scripture said about, says about the relationship between the church and the state. I hope it's challenging to you this morning. If you would read along with me, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. If you would, pray with me this morning. Father God, Lord, we are so joy-filled. Lord, I am so joy-filled. I feel like I'm with family I haven't seen in so long. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the joy it is to worship you together 
as a congregation in corporate worship, Lord. Oh, how I've missed that, Lord. I thank you for the freedoms we have in this country, Lord. As I talk to missionaries across the world, Lord, we are in a special place, even in California, even as we feel encroachment on freedoms, Lord. We are still so blessed, Lord, and we want to recognize that this morning. God, I pray for our government. Lord, we are called, you have called us to pray for the leaders, for the government that you have put in charge, Lord, and we understand that you have put them in charge, Lord. So I pray for President Trump. I thank you that you either moved in his heart or he was doing a political scheme. I don't know, Lord, but, but he called the church essential. God, I pray that you are working in his heart. God, I pray you guide his leadership of our country. God, I don't pray that just because he's a Republican, Lord. I pray for our, our governor, Newsom, Lord. He's not our enemy. I pray for salvation. I pray that he recognizes you as the ultimate authority. I pray that you soften all of our hearts towards him, Lord, and that, that we get a conviction to pray for him, Lord. I pray for our county supervisor, Zach Scrifner. Lord, I pray for Shannon Grove. I pray for all those that you have put in government, Lord. I pray they don't see the church as some threat. But that we are people that want to submit. That we have a higher calling to you, Lord. So be with us this morning, Lord. Be with our country. Be with our state. Be with our county. Be with us. In your son's name, amen. Again, last week we started a, a sermon series. It really was going to be one sermon that turned into two really long sermons. And so I'm sorry, this is probably going to be another long sermon this morning. A sermon series on the relationship between the church and the state. And I want to finish it today. There's three questions I was trying to answer that were going to be three points of one sermon, but again, it turned into two sermons. Um, the first question was this, what does the separation of church and state mean? The second point, or second question was this, what distinct institutions has God ordained, and what are their roles? And the third question I wanted to answer is, what have we learned in the past two months, the last two months? Last week, I tried to answer those first two questions the best I could from scripture and, and even from history. The first question, what does the separation of church and state mean? Man, it's good to see faces. <laughs> It'll take me a while to get used to that. I don't have to look at the camera anymore. The separation of church and state is not, it never was, and it shouldn't be a separation of religiously informed moral reasoning, Christian reasoning, biblical worldview from politics, from public politics. It simply means there would be no established church in America, no state church. Another way to put it is the state is not allowed to run the church. It's a biblical concept, as we saw last week. Biblically, the state has a role, the church has a role, and they should be separate. I like the word distinct, because you can't separate, as we know, 
completely the church and the state. We live together. So the second question I wanted to ask was this, an answer was, what distinct institution has God ordained and what are their roles? And we see that there's three distinct institutions in Scripture established by God, the family, the church, and the state or government. The family is the most basic. The state is the most broad. All three are called to obey, honor, and glorify God. All three are accountable to God. All three have particular roles and authorities spelled out in Scripture, and all three are called by God to stay within those roles and authorities and responsibilities. In other words, stay in their lane, as I said last week. Which leads to a third question, and that's what I want to try to answer today. What have we learned in the past two months? And we have learned a lot, but I want to specifically talk about the relationship between the church and the state. I want to start by saying I have personally learned a lot. (laughs) I have studied a lot. I have digged deeply into Scripture. And there are six things that I want to talk about this morning. Six points. We'll go through them quickly. It won't be two sermons in one long. We have a second service coming at some point, so. I, I want to start by saying the fourth thing is this, and we're going to get there. Sometimes civil disobedience is necessary. We're going to get to that fourth point. Sometimes civil disobedience is necessary. But there's a reason it's the fourth point. It only comes after the first three points. And I want to make the first three points very clear this morning. That should be what we are contemplating if we ever engage in social or civil disobedience. So the first point is this. And the first thing I feel like I have learned, which is something I knew, but not to the extent, and it is this. We are called as Christians to submit to the government. Again, that submission only goes so far, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we are not political revolutionaries. The church, everyone wanted Jesus to be a political revolutionary. Look at Romans 13.1 says again, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It's clear that 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 Greek word there, subject, was actually a military word. It denotes soldiers ranking under the subject of the absolute authority of the superior officer. And this was an evil government, right? The Roman Empire, who did horrific things. We see that word subject, and we see the word subject again in verse 5. Look at verse 5, Romans 13, verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection... Right, subject or submission, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Not only to avoid God's wrath, what does that mean? Remember, as we went through this passage, the state bears a sword. It's been given authority by God to use force, to restrain evil and to punish wrongdoers. Therefore, ver- ver- therefore verse 4 says that the state is an avenger who carries out God's wrath. In other words, we should obey the government. Partly one reason is just to avoid penalties. Avoid its force. But verse 5 says this, but also for the sake of conscience. And that is no small thing. That's the higher motivation to obey our government. 
want you to listen to these strong words. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjunction, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Right? It's not just Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Those are strong words. I mean, think about this. Every command in Scripture, right, should be obeyed for the Lord's sake, for his glory. Yet most authors in Scripture don't feel the need to add for the Lord's sake after a command. But in 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake. What's the implication on that? Rebellious conduct and rebellious attitudes by Christians bring dishonor to Christ. 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Right? 1 Peter 2.13, for the Lord's sake. Romans 13.5, for the sake of conscience, obey the government. It's one of the first things I learned through all this is our high calling to submit. And I hope you have heard throughout the last two months that that has been our heart as elders, is to try to do our best to submit to the government. Second thing I have learned is we are called as a church, as Christians, to pray for and honor our government and our governors, even if we disagree politically. And not just pray, honor. Even if they're corrupt, again, Romans thirteen three. would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. That word servant, we said last week, is di- uh, dikonos, where we get the word deacon from, or, or minister. John MacArthur writes, such servants, or such rulers whether presidents or prime ministers or senators or members of parliament, high court justices, county supervisors or members of a city council are due honor and respect as servants of God, regardless of their personal beliefs about our relationship to God. They represent him and are doing God's work, whether they realize it or not, by promoting peace, justice, and safety among their subjects. Governing officials are ministers of God, appointed by God, to administrate justice. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. We are called as Christians to honor our government and our governing officials. You might be asking, what if they are evil? What if they are corrupt? First Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love the brethren, fear God, honor the emperor. You know who the emperor was? Nero, a maniac, a psycho, a man that burned down much of the Roman Empire and blamed it on Christians. Honor the emperor. King David understood this, right? Saul, an evil king, trying to kill him. In fact, turn to 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. First Samuel 24, verse 1. Man, pages. <laughs> you know how hard it is to preach with no one in this room. 
verse 1 says this. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Side note, is that not a waste of resources? A whole army to chase a political rival. Not just a chase to try to kill him. Saul was unreasonable. He was paranoid. He was even tormented by an evil spirit. Look at verse 3. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Use the restroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner parts of this cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I give your enemies into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. I mean, what are the chances? The same cave. God definitely ordained this, but just for different purposes than David's men thought. Then David arose stealthily, cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and David's heart struck him conscience because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. His conscience, Romans 13, for the sake of conscience. David's heart struck him. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord. That's not God. Saul. My Lord, the Lord's anointed. Again, that's an evil king. To put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went away. Verse 8, afterward David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord and the king, or my Lord the king. Do you hear the respect there? Look, I'm preaching to myself here. I hope you guys understand this. That's our calling. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to these words of the men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hands in the cave, and some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said I would not put my hand against my Lord. That's Saul. For he is the Lord's anointed. Listen, David understood what Paul wrote thousands of years later. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. David got this, and he respected and honored the government. It's not just David. Paul actually lived this out, too. Turn to Acts 23, verse 1. Acts 23, verse 1. Paul wrote Romans, of course, 13, 1 through 4. Paul lived Acts 23 all the way through 26. And that's a great example how we speak truth, how we live out our Christian convictions at the same time respecting and honoring 
the authorities. Listen to verse 1. Acts 23, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. In other words, punch him in the face. And this probably was a more severe beating than just slapping someone. A threat of it. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Verse 4, those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. I know, I need a heart check. I think maybe we as conservative Christians sometimes need a heart check. Question I want to ask, and I'm asking myself, again, I'm preaching to myself on this, are we following the example of David? Are we following the example of Paul in respecting and honoring our government, even if we disagree, even if they're evil? I'm not saying we don't speak truth. We are called to speak truth. We are called to proclaim the gospel and speak truth, and we see that throughout Scripture. But are we honoring our governing officials with with our words? Are we speaking truth in love when we talk? Listen, the political atmosphere of our country has gotten ugly. It's just gotten ugly. I've heard from historians, and I, I think this is true, we have never been more divided as a country besides the Civil War. The hostility is growing, and I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the ugliest elections we will ever see. And here's my question for our church. Are we representing Christ well with our words? That includes social media. Are we just joining in to the hostility? Leads to the third thing I've learned in these last two months. Our hearts should be for peace with all men and civil obedience, not disobedience. That should be our hearts. I just want to say that's my heart. That's the elder's heart. There's been times when we just wanted to be rebels and say, forget you. But if we do do civil disobedience, which we may be doing right now, we don't want it at a heart out of rebellion. We want it as a heart out of obedience to God. We're not seeking disobedience. I personally have sent letters to our governing officials asking, pleading. I want to work with them. I don't, I don't want them to be against us. I've written letters to Zach Scrivener. Shannon Grove. There's a group of pastors. We got together and wrote a letter together to Shannon Grove. Asking. We should want peace. Turn to 1 Timothy 
First Timothy and Titus, or Tim, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are letters to Timothy and Titus who are acting like pa- pastors. This is Paul writing to pastors, and it applies to us too. It applies to everyone. But there's a special application to pastors. First Timothy two one. says this, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Paul is telling Timothy, pastor, he's telling pastors, lead the church to prayer. Lead the church to prayer. That's why we prayed and fasted last week. I was convicted that we need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for where we are as a society. And who should we pray for? Well, Timothy makes it really clear, verse 2. Or Paul makes it very clear to Timothy. Verse 2, it says this, For kings and all who are in high positions are governors. And not just the ones we like. And what should you pray for? Look at verse 2 again. That, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and, and dignified in every way. Our hearts should be for peace. Again, John MacArthur writes on this. While the church should remain uncompromising in its commitment to the truth, it is not to disrupt the national life. When it manifests love and goodness to all and prays passionately for the lost, including rulers, the church may experience a certain amount of religious freedom, and we have been blessed with a lot of religious freedom. Persecution should only be the result of righteous living, not civil disobedience. In other words, if we are being persecuted, it should be for righteous living and for doing what God has asked us, for to, us, asked us to do. And if we get persecuted for doing what God has asked us and commanded us to do, so be it. But we should be praying for a peaceful and quiet life. Listen to what Titus 3.1 says. Again, this is a letter to a pastor. Remind them, the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. I'm reminding you. It's another place that submission is clear. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Ouch. I struggle with that. Does that describe you? I mean, when it comes to politics, do you speak evil of no one? I'm not saying don't speak truth. We are called to speak truth. Do you speak evil of no one? Do you avoid quarreling? Fighting? Or do you look for opportunities to voice your opinion? Are you gentle with those that disagree with you? Humble? Do you show perfect courtesy toward all people? Do you seek peace? I think this is what Paul is telling Titus. Again, we live in ugly times. And it's going to get worse. 
yet we have a higher calling as Christians. And I want to be clear, people are watching us. The church should look different, and a lot of times it doesn't. This hostility that's going on. Again, we speak truth. But careful how we speak truth. So those are the first three things I learned. And before we even consider civil disobedience, we should understand that we are called as Christians to be submissive to the state. We are called to pray and to honor our governors, and we are called, right, to have a heart for peace with all men and civil obedience, not disobedience. Which leads me to my fourth point this morning. Sometimes civil disobedience is necessary. Sometimes civil disobedience is necessary, and this is because Jesus is our highest authority, not man. We must, we must disobey any lesser earthly authority when they command us to do something that God forbids or forbid us to do something that God has commanded. We must disobey. And this is true for all three institutions that God has established, the family, the church, and the state. Right, the family, Ephesians 5.1 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's strong language. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Wives, you are called to be submissive. Does that mean a wife should be submissive in everything? No. If your husband asks you to do something that God forbids, you must disobey. God is your highest authority. It's true for the church. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Does that mean you submit in everything? No. Of course not. I mean, just think about this. We're called Protestants for a reason. Where that name comes from? Protest. We protested as a group against a corrupt Roman Catholic Church of the 16th century. If I or any other church leader commands you to do something God forbids or forbids you to do something God commands, you must disobey. God is your highest authority. This is true for the government, too. 1 Peter 2.13 Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors who as sent by him. Does this mean you should submit in everything? No. No, we must disobey the government. Again, respectfully, if the government commands us to do something God forbids or forbids us to do something God has commanded. You know how I know this is true? Just about every apostle has been killed by the state. As enemies of the state. Historically, Peter was crucified upside down in front of his family. It's not biblical, that's just historical uh, evidence that we have. By the Roman government. As an enemy of the state. 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Peter wrote that, and listen, Peter practiced civil disobedience. 
In fact, listen to Acts 4.18. So they, the authorities, called them, that's Peter is one of them, the apostles, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. A clear command by the authorities. And listen to Peter's response. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, sorry, we are not listening. We must listen to God over man. In fact, turn with me to Acts 5, verse 17. Acts 5, verse 17. Kids, you're doing amazing, by the way. I forgot you guys are even here. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. By the way, escaping from prison is civil disobedience. Right, but if the Lord tells you to escape, you listen. <laughs> and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the center of the people of Israel, and set, um, sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests uh, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, The men whom you put in prisons are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people, afraid of a riot. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. Listen, Peter and the apostles... Don't take civil disobedience lightly. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And we as a church should not take civil disobedience lightly. But when an earthly authority tells you to do something that goes against God's command, Peter's response was, We must obey God rather than men. 
And you see this truth throughout Scripture. Exodus 1, the Egyptian midwives were called to kill the male Jewish babies, and their response in verse 17 was this, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Joshua 2 Rahab committed treason by protecting the Jewish spies. Daniel 1, Daniel and his friends refused to eat from the pagan king's table. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden image. Therefore, they were thrown into the burning furnace by the government for civil disobedience. And probably the most famous of all civil disobedience in Scripture is Daniel 6. Daniel and the lion's den. Listen to Daniel 6.10. I want you to hear this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, right, what document? It was a document by the king, by the governor. It was signed that said, man is not allowed to pray to any god except the king. That was the document. Think about this. As soon as he found out about it, he went to his house where he had his window where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. There's a couple things I want to point out there. Three things. Upper chamber, open window. He prayed as he had done previously. One theologian wrote this. To be sure, Daniel might have compromised his integrity by ceasing to pray to God during the month. The decree was in effect or or by praying privately. Perhaps at night when no one could see him worshiping at his window. To rationalize such compromises to, to... to preserve his role in government would have been easy. But Daniel could not compromise. For him, the issue was whether he was going to please God or, or, or please man or obey God. Daniel had to choose between loyalty to his God and obedience to a sinful government commanding him to perform idolatry. You know what gets me about Daniel 6? I've been studying this and praying over it. He could have prayed privately. Just avoided the lion's den completely. We would have had a, missed out on a really cool story. But he chose instead to continue what he was doing that he's probably done for decades before, and that was to pray three times a day, on his knees, in the upper chamber, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. To be honest, this week is, this is where I got stuck. This is where I struggled. I truly question all this week, in tears, praying, are we, not just our church, but the church as a whole, compromising? Are we rationalizing? We can, we can fellowship online. It's the same thing. We're doing this to, to say, stay safe, right? Yet restaurants are open now. The mall is allowed to be open now. 
Costco is open. Home Depot is open. Parks can be open. Outside museums are open. That happened this week. Yet churches can't even meet outside in limited services. It's not that we want to go against the government. Give us some guidelines. We'll try to follow them to the best of our ability. We get nothing. Are we rationalizing? Saying come together is not that big of a deal. We can sacrifice that. Listen, I think Hebrews 10 is pretty clear. God has commanded, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The church is called to meet together. Acts 2, the church met together daily in each other's homes, and and then they met together as a a corporate body, 3,000 of them in, in the temple together. The word church is ekklesia in Greek. It just means the assembly. You could translate it the gathering. It's what we do. 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, it says, when you come together, it's assumed we're going to come together. 30 years in this church, we've missed one Sunday. Listen, at the beginning of all this, I, I, I think we made the right decision. I think all the churches made the right decision. We decided for a time we can, we can suspend meeting together for the sake of safety. We didn't know how bad this virus was. For love of one another, we can suspend meeting together. We can suspend meeting together for the sake of submission to try to do our best to, to, to obey Romans 13 and 1 Peter but it was always in the back of my mind, and I think all the others' mind, at some point we would be violating God's command to meet together. It was just really hard to figure out when that point was. Therefore, Friday, the president came out and asked the churches to reopen saying, for the good of society, for the good of your country, open the doors. We need you to open the doors. We need you to pray. We need you to worship. I just couldn't justify keeping the doors shut today. Listen, our government, our government is now asking us to open the doors for the good of society. To be honest, like I said, starting this morning, I I really don't know if this is civil disobedience, what we're doing right now. I thought it wasn't. Last night I read an article. I think it is. I don't know. But here's something else I have learned. God hears our prayers. Amen. Last week we called for a fast, a church-wide fast and prayer, and you guys responded. Thank you. And look, I didn't think we'd be here this, this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray again.
all day today. Tomorrow, Newsom has said that he's going to come out with a response to what Trump has said. He said he's going to give the church some guidelines. We want to obey. I pray that he works, God just works on that man's heart. I pray that we rejoice with whatever he says tomorrow. Do I have my doubts? Yes. But that's what I want. I want to be clear, we are called to respect, submit, and honor even our state governors. I want to do that. I want to work with the government, not against them. There needs to be clear distinctions. There needs to be a clear separation. I get that. So let me end with this. I'm asking you to pray. Please, today and and tomorrow morning until we hear what Newsom says. We are planning services next week. 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. And the reason we're doing that, we're changing times. We want some time in between the services to clean. So it's not 9 and 10.30 like it used to be. 8.30, 10.30. We're trying to do our best to obey. Not just obey, be smart. And the last thing we want is all of us to get sick. It's just going to look bad. Pay attention this week to our church website and Facebook. Because we're going to listen to what the governor says tomorrow. And then we as elders are going to have to decide what we're going to do next week. I want you to hear our heart. We want to obey. But there's some point we have to obey God over man. And that's what we're going to be wrestling with, I'm sure, Tuesday. So be praying for us, too. I want to remind you one last thing. And we can be praying and dismiss. Please continue to respect and love one another. But we cannot let this divide the church. There's difference of opinions. There's different arguments out there. We all think we're entitled to our knowledge. Let's have humility. I have my opinions. I'm trying not to voice them everywhere. I'm trying to be respectful to people. There's many different opinions. Please keep a humble attitude. Keep unity. Love one another. Respect each other. Non-believers are watching us. They're watching us. The world is at each other's throat. If the church is just gracious and loving, they will see something different than the world. But if we just jump right in, that's the worst thing we can do right now. I'm going to pray, and this is going to be the hardest thing about this day. And I'm going to ask you to keep your distance. Keep doing what we've been doing. Let's respect each other. I know many of us don't care and we just want to hug everyone and I won't say kiss. I don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> I'm almost there, though, to be honest. <laughs> Starting to understand. Greet each other with a holy kiss. That's... But let's fellowship, maybe fellowship outside, um, and give us a chance to clean this room. So we have a second service coming soon.
Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just pray that you're with us as a church, God. Again, I pray that you're with our governors, Lord. I pray you're with Newsom, and particularly, Lord, work on his heart, God. Help him see the need of the church and society, Lord. Help us be soft towards him as we pray, Lord. I know there's a lot of us that are very bitter, Lord. Take that out of our hearts, God. Help us to, to speak truth confidently, but Lord, but in love. And if we can't do that, just to be quiet and let it go. I thank you so much for this day, Lord. It's been an encouragement. In your son's name, amen.